Building a business ain't easy. It takes hard work, dedication, and strength. This is Success Failed with Philip Long. Must know tips for executives going through the trials and tribulations of growing their own business. Now, here's your host, Philip Long. Well, welcome to another episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. I've taken a couple of months off, and I'm really primed for the new year. I can't wait to share with you guys some some special guests, as well as some thoughts and cybersecurity threats that we're seeing in the marketplace. This month, we have Whitney Lucas, and she is the general manager of Gilmore Services. And I think you're really going to enjoy uh, the, just the challenges that this young lady has faced in her life, and she's really excelled. She's really, you know, she's an inspirational type person really with a great attitude uh, for our cyber threat we're going to talk a little bit about stuffing and it's not the stuffing you have for thanksgiving it's more about credential stuffing and what that is and how to protect from it and then for the thought i want to talk about kind of choosing your own happy not allowing or expecting someone else to be your happy so let's jump in guys let's get it moving cyber attack analysis let's break it down All right, for our cybersecurity segment, I want to talk about a topic called credential stuffing. So grab your headphones and join me, and we're going to unravel these layers of this cybersecurity menace. So credential stuffing, folks, is not your typical household term, but in the vast landscape of cyber threats, it's really a force that's to be reckoned with. And if you imagine a scenario where you use the same username and password across multiple online accounts, from your social media profile to your banking apps, now here comes the villain. Well, it's called credential stuffing. So what exactly is that? Well, credential stuffing is really a malicious technique where cyber criminals take advantage of the fact that many users reuse their login credentials across different platforms. So the attackers acquire large numbers of stolen usernames and passwords nearly for free. And they often obtain uh, these from previous data breaches that have happened. So they've got this arsenal that they are ready to employ, and they have a system of automated tools that will systematically try these credentials on various websites and applications. So it's really like a digital lock picker with hundreds or even thousands of keys that are ready and they're really useless until they find the right lock and that lock is ultimately the locking door ultimately is protecting your personal accounts so what's the repercussion of this well they can range from anywhere from an unauthorized access to your email or social media accounts to potentially compromising your financial data the danger uh, lies not just in the initial breach, but also in that ripple effect or the domino effect of compromised accounts. Once cyber criminals gain access to one account, they often leverage that foothold to infiltrate others. And they take advantage of users who haven't prioritized unique passwords for each service. So you might be wondering, how can you shield yourself from these digital attacks? And really the key is adopting good cybersecurity habits. And in this case, we want to use unique and robust passwords for each account and also enable multi-factor authentication. 
And then there's ways that you can sign up out there for free. Uh, HaveIBeenPwned.com is another, is a site that you can go and see if your information is floating around out there on the dark web. And in a world where our lives are really increasingly intertwined with the digital realm and more and more attacks are happening each day, and I, I hate to say it, but the future looks darker than the past as it relates to the number and the criticality of attacks that are uh, coming in the future. We really have to stay uh stay on the you know the proactive solution on the cutting edge of trying to reduce the risk of this uh, credential stuffing. Let's empower ourselves with knowledge and fortify our digital for, uh, fortress against the ever-present threat. Interview an expert. Now, let me introduce you. I have Miss Whitney Lucas, who is the general manager of Gilmore in Pensacola, Florida, and I'm really excited to have her on to kind of tell us about the you know the challenges she's faced in in her career, you know, getting to where she is in her career, and then I want her to tell us about the challenges that she faces on a daily basis. So, welcome to the program, Whitney. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and so I always like to start with a little bit of background about you know. When where you were as a you know as a kid, what kind of kid were you? Were you like uh, misobedient, miss uh, rule follower, <laughs> or you were, or were you an outlaw? You know, I do not want to break the rules, and still to this day, it is often difficult to see that gray area. So I'm very much a people pleaser, um, and and was as a kid, and like I said, still am. I I want to get things right. I want to do right by those that trust me, whether it's my parents um, or our clients here at Gilmore now. So definitely a rule follower. Yep. And I tell you, what I find more and more is like how you were then is most likely yep. very much how you are now. Oh, that's it. That's it. Now, I was pretty opinionated. Don't get me wrong. I uh, I definitely had had my own thoughts and ideas about things even back then, but, but definitely want to do right. Want to take the right path when I can. <laughs> right. And I know you told me that you moved to Pensacola when you were 10. Where were yeah. your years before that? So I grew up the, the early part of my childhood in Defuniac Springs, Florida. Wow. Um, yeah, so about halfway between Pensacola and Tallahassee for those that aren't familiar with that area, but small town had chickens and goats and did all of that. And then my parents up and moved us to Interarity Point out in Perdido. So it was definitely, I feel like I got the best of both worlds growing up. I got to have my early childhood in the country and then moved to the beach town. Yeah, Interarity uh, Point is beautiful too. Yes, yes. I, I count myself pretty fortunate to be able to have grown up out there. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, you... Uh... You moved to, to basically, we'll call it Pensacola, yes. uh, you know, tell us about kind of the the life from 10 years old up till, you know, maybe, uh, you know, into high school, were you, uh, anything, any challenges you faced as far as, you know, moving at 10, was that hard at all? Well, I will say we settled here in Pensacola about three weeks before the start of my sixth grade year. And anyone that's familiar with the public school system knows that that is the start of middle school. 
So it um, presents its own set of challenges. If you are someone who has grown up here and has a friend group here, um, imagine coming in as not only the new kid, but the new kid who at that point in time had an exceedingly strong Southern accent that being in Pensacola, especially the part of Pensacola I grew up in, we have a large military contingency. And so most of the children I was going to school with, my contemporaries, they weren't even from here, but they had been here for two or three years, enough time to develop um, some friend groups, but, but they were all from different parts of the country, but none of them spoke the way I spoke. And yeah. so you're, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to make friends. I, I didn't understand necessarily the culture here. Um, even down to shopping, you know, I grew up in a place where Walmart was the only store we had, you know, everybody's shoes looked the same, everybody's clothes looked the same, we all, we were all going to the same store, because it was our only option, and, and then to be thrust into this world of brand names, and I, I didn't even know what Nike was, I had no clue what, what any of that meant, and so assimilating was certainly a challenge. Um, but I feel like I got through that the same way I get through a lot of challenges, consistently reminding myself that being nice is free. And, and I do think the nice guy wins. I do. I think that no matter how mean or ugly people could be, I never wanted them to be able to point the finger at me and say that, that it was a result of something I had done. And so no matter what challenges I was facing, I wanted to get through them with, with some integrity. And, and honestly, I wanted people to be able to look back and say, well, she was nice. You know, may, maybe we, maybe we kill them with kindness. That whole mantra, that is mm -hmm. definitely my slogan. Gotcha. Where do you think you got that from? Um, I really think growing up, um, my mother was such a big influence and the way that I saw her interact with so many different people and there was always that level of kindness. There was always, um, I think part of it too goes back to that whole idea of Southern hospitality, you know, invite them in, cook them a meal, kind of, you know, you can say bless her heart, but you're not going to say anything openly disparaging and mean. I, I really think it's um, almost part of a cultural thing. You know, you grow up with that. And, and so, you know, there's not I didn't, I don't know that at that point in time, I thought that there was another way to handle things. It was just kill them with kindness, be as nice as you can, smile. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, you know, I don't know, I've often heard, you know, it doesn't cost anything to be nice. Nice is free. And, <laughs> yeah, nice is free. You said it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's really something to take with you. You know what I mean? That's something you need to kind of have on board at all times. And, and sometimes uh, it's easier to remember than others. I, I can't say that, that I all, that it always wins out, you know, no one, no one's always nice, but, but I do make a conscious effort to remind myself that, that nice is free. You, you can ask anybody here at Gilmore. There's a couple of things I say all the time and that's one of them, you know, Hey, but guess what? Nice is free. Just be nice. Let's just be nice. Yeah. That's really smart. So you uh, get a, you play sports or uh, in the band or any kind of uh, extra curricular things you excelled in during high school? You know, I did cheerleading all the way through middle school and into high school. 
And then when I started the 10th grade and started to get serious, they're talking about college. And my parents always made it pretty clear growing up that college was was the path that I was going to take. You know, that was another thing I didn't, I don't know that I realized there were other options. Um, so it was, you're going to go to college and you should probably do well academically because you're going to need a scholarship because you're going to have to find a way to fund this. You know, we, we don't have money set aside for you to be able to go. You need to do it and you need to figure out how to do it. And so I realized pretty quickly that um, I wasn't going to get any cheerleading scholarships. Not that I was bad, but I wasn't I, I wasn't scholarship material, that's for sure. <laughs> so I hung all that up and really started to focus on my academics. Um, I founded the Science Club and the Science National Honor Society at Escambia High School, got those started and kicked off and, and really started digging into the things I could do that I thought others wouldn't be doing. There weren't a lot of science national honor societies. Um, so I thought, okay, well, let me start that because that's gonna stand out, you know, on a scholarship application or a college application. It was always about what can I do to differentiate myself from everyone else? What, what is the path that they're not taking and, and what can I do to make that path successful? Wow, that is, you know, that's really extremely, mature and you know something like that I see in today's you know I'll call them kids or yeah. youth or whatever you call them these days I'll use the wrong terms because <laughs> but um, that age group will say is I often see them not being so strategic and not being it's almost like they need to discover um you know, it's like they, uh, you know, they don't really have a, like what you're, that was very strategic. It's like, okay, I know one thing is a, I gotta, if it's going to be, it's up to me as far yes. as money and well, B, I, yeah. uh, you know, not take the fun thing, you know, not take the yeah. fun cheerleading thing. Uh, and then also try to figure out, a, you know, have an angle or an edge, like I'm going to do something that nobody else has thought of that's extremely yeah. uh impressive I think it's a fine line and I have I have two daughters there she'll be one of, my oldest is almost 12 she's got a couple weeks left um, and my youngest just turned nine and I think as parents there's a fine line between motivating your children and and letting them know that they're talented and they can excel but also reminding them that that there's hundreds of thousands of other people out there that want the exact same things they want and and how do you make yourself special how what what do you do to make yourself stand out from the crowd if one if if the thing you want is is to excel and and is to be number one i people always give me a hard time if if they're you know they say stop and smell the roses I, I am so type A, if you tell me to stop and smell the roses, I want to make sure that I smell the best roses better than anyone else has ever smelled them and that I am going to win this rose smelling contest if it were such a thing. And so- well, Very competitive, yeah. Yes, Strategic yes. And competitive. Yes, and so if you if you see that in your children and you wanna foster that, like I said, it's a, it's a fine line and, and something I think my parents got right is motivating them, letting them know that 
that they can be successful, but also helping them to realize it's not going to be easy and, and it's going to be a lot of work. And every single decision you make from this point forward, I mean, and my parents told me that, you know, from probably the time I was in third or fourth grade, your actions now are going to impact the future you. So think about how is this, you know, how is this going to work? And we, we do that with our kids now, especially with the prevalence of cell phones. You know, anything you say now can can come back around. Just be careful what you do because it can come back around. Your choices now impact the future you. And, and how are you going to feel about that in five or 10 years could be different. So I think I've always had that that idea that that my choices now are going to have an impact in the future. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's uh, extremely mature. Now, I want to ask you this. Now, how do you handle failure? There's like I read, I don't even remember what book I read it in, but it, it there was like a study of um of kids who mm-hmm. like really kind of learn. It sounds to me like you kind of learn the game early, at, mm-hmm. at least in that particular environment. Right. Um, and a lot of times they um they fail to thrive, if you will, mm-hmm. because they're not able to um to uh handle uh failure. You failure. know, it's like they're scared because they've always done well. Therefore, they don't want to take risk. And so how do you handle risk? And and because uh, it sounds like you're doing things very calculated. How would well, you say you handle risk? Well, I will tell you that that is something that I did not do. I don't know that I do well now. That's probably an overstatement. But I did not handle failure at all until honestly, probably my late twenties, if, if it wasn't a for sure thing, it's something that's really developed in the last 10 years or so for me. Um, I'm actually surprisingly, my background is in finance and management, um, change management, development, things of that nature, but I'm a history major. And so you talk about failure and it's funny you say scared, I, I mentioned I started the Science National Honor Society, the science club in high school. I, I loved science, but it wasn't easy. History was easy for me. It's memorization. It's, it's knowing facts. I lucky enough have a photographic memory. So I would just take a picture of a page and I was good to go. So I'm, I thought, oh, well, you know what I'll do? I will major in history because I will be the best in the class and it won't be a lot of work, but I know I'll be great at it. I don't know what I'll do with it. Maybe I'll just teach. Um, I really thought I was going to be a museum curator until I realized I'd probably have to move if I wanted to make a decent amount of money at that. And, and I didn't want to leave Pensacola. So I made a lot of decisions early on in my career trajectory and in my life that, that were the easier route because I did not want to fail. And so it's funny you mentioned scared, you know, they're too scared. I was terrified. And then slowly I started realizing that I was missing out on opportunities because of that fear. And maybe it was okay to do something even if you're scared. And so one of the mantras that I like to say now is go and do it, even if you do it scared. I can't tell you how many things in the last 10 years I have done absolutely terrified and scared. And while I still don't 
love the idea of failure. I am not one of those people that thrives from my mistakes. I will beat my, I am my own worst critic. Um, I've realized it's part of success. It is a necessary evil. And man, does that failure make the wins taste even sweeter. Yeah. You know, I'm, um, I'm probably beyond where you are. I almost see it as that failure is the way the, the, you know, Marcus Aurelius, um, you know, he says, you know, great philosopher, um, the challenge is the way. And I think that if you can get your mind around um, that understanding that the failure, if properly understood, you know, uh, we, we talked briefly before this and, you know, we talked about how we want to be really careful on setting our goal because we want to think long and hard about what if we get it. Yeah. You know, if you set your goal simply to be wealthy and you defined what the wealth was and now you reached it, are you going to go home and, sit on the couch because if you sat on the couch all by yourself you know i guess the next challenge that would come would be how to get off that couch you That's know what it. i mean yeah so you got to have challenges and when those challenges hit us you know then all of a sudden we got to go to thinking we got to go to asking questions we got to do this and that so you know i think that's really important that you know if you can see a failure and almost be yeah you know, i don't I, I like to say not take yourself so seriously um, you know, so that you can make a mistake. They throw about public speaking. A lot of people don't like public speak oh, yeah. because they're so terrified that everyone's looking at me and what <laughs> if I made a mistake? Uh, you know, and it's really in, in one regard that to the extreme, I could even see as, you know, pride. Oh yeah. It and, is. uh, so I think those are challenges and I think it's interesting that you're able to, you know, you're, you know, you're figuring that stuff out because, you know, I know you from working, you know, right. as a client and I've seen your professionalism and your ability to get things done. Very impressed. That's why I wanted to have you on the show is because of that alone. And you're, you know, again, a positive role model leader. Uh, so yeah, for sure. Well, I, think, but, I think that you say not taking yourself too seriously. I think that's part of why I'm such an advocate for always having a mentor. Um, that's something else I, I learned really early on is that I, I don't have all of the answers. And while I've had several pretty prominent mentors in my life, I usually honestly have more than one at a time, you know, just people that can kind of get you grounded a little bit more and, and bring you back to reality. If I start beating myself up too much over a failure or a shortcoming or, you know, oh, I didn't get this award or, you know, we didn't quite execute that as well as I would have wanted to having those people you can call who kind of put things in perspective a little bit. Um, you, you've always got to have that sounding board because if not, you'll, you'll just get way too wrapped up in your own mind. Yeah. That was actually part of, I usually do an annual theme or have done an annual theme for probably at least the last, you know, five or six years. And they're kind of personal, honestly, but they, I incorporate them inside the business. And, um, you know, last year it was about like, you know, um, everybody thinks that it's about working hard. Well, that's really 25% of the equation. It's really, what are you working on? Is it your highest and best use? Uh, you know, 
task or whatever, you know, right. should you be even be doing it, you know, asking those type of questions. Mm -hmm. And then who are you working with? Because at any moment, you're the smartest guy in the room. You've got to get out of that room. Yeah, or you can stay in that room. room but, <laughs> yeah, you got to get in. The, you at least got to spend some time in another room where right. you're not the smartest person because that is a uh, it's an unhealthy position and it's going to stunt your growth and you know a lot of bad things. So when tell I me think, about. Yeah, oh, I think that's something that I was going to say. I think that's something that comes with wisdom as well. Is is that concept that that you want to seek the advice of people that are wiser than you. You want to build a team. That's to me, that's always the sign of, of a true leader is someone who, who makes a concerted effort to organize a team that fills in where their shortfalls are. Nobody is perfect. And so, and so that's one thing we've really worked hard here at Gilmore is not just saying, Oh, we have a good team. But man, we have got a team that works so well together. The things that I may be a little less proficient in, you know, we've made strategic recruiting efforts to bring people in that, that man, that's their focus and they do fabulous at that. Um, and, and the same can be said for every single facet of our organization here is we really have tried to recruit this team that, that can pick up the slack for each other. Yeah, for sure. Tell me a little bit about, I know you went to college, you, you'd said that earlier. Um, and, you know, how did that, how'd that play out? What, what was the, you know, how'd that work? Well, I am a history major. I'm actually a public history major. Um, so like I said, I thought I was going to be a museum curator. I worked for a local physician's practice here in town and we had several locations and I had worked my way. He actually also owned a restaurant, the doctor did. And so I started at the restaurant in high school and worked my way up. When I started college, he had me come over to the doctor's office um, and I had worked my way up to practice manager there. And he really invested so much into my growth and development. I mean, I was, we would go to these forums and these meetings and, you know, I'm here I am. 20 years old, I'm a practice manager over two or three locations and, and my counterparts are in their fifties and sixties at that point in time. And I remember asking him, you know, why, why are you doing this? Why are you investing so much into me? I'm leaving, you know, I'm going to college for this and I'm not going to be here. This, I'm not going into healthcare management. I'm going to do something else. And I remember him always saying that it was important to foster that growth and development, even if it means the person's going to leave, that the asset that I was to their organization at that point in time was important at that point in time. It didn't matter what the future held. And so that's something that I've taken with me. And I can't tell you how many times I've had either business ownership or county administration, you know, when I was working for local government say, you know, you're sending, you're advocating to send this person to this training or pay for this class or that, and it's not related to their job function. How, how do you justify that? And, and my answer is always the same as his, Hey, somebody poured into me and, and wanted to see me grow and thrive on a personal level when it was potentially not only going to not benefit them, but maybe even harm them for a certain period of time, you know, in, in the interim of me leaving and getting someone else on. And I don't ever want to hold anybody back. I'm probably one of the only 
GMs I know that is genuinely excited when as sad as I am for Gilmore, if somebody comes in and they're going to follow their dream or chase a different path, I am so excited for them and, and what their future potential may be, even if it's not here with me. So I, um, I learned a lot in college. Don't use any of necessarily the textbook stuff I learned, but I am such an advocate for higher education because I think the people skills you develop, how to get along with people that aren't like you, um, how to interact with people that are, are vastly different, have different ideals and opinions. That to me was my biggest benefit from my degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that for sure. And that is a great way. I've always, there's a book called The Go-Giver that I've always um, really enjoyed. And it talks about uh, a guy who's a go-getter. It's kind of a short read. You probably read three or four hours and he's a go-getter. And, you know, he's really out for himself. And I can identify with that early on in my career. And I always thought, you know, hey, I'm going to be a sponge. I'm going to get around people and I'm going to learn everything they know. And I'm going to know one more thing and I'm going to get ahead that way. When in reality, that's silly. Uh, what you want to do is teach them everything you know and learn everything they know. And both of you walk away much better. Kind of a win-win is what I call it. And that's kind of the philosophy that um, that I take. But, you know, I think history is probably a very interesting thing as it relates to, uh, you know, history's bound to repeat itself. It is. I, it is. Yeah, I, I read a, a book recently called The Fourth Turning that was very interesting in that um, it, um, it, it talked about just basically the history repeats itself, but it talks about that there's season and they call them saquiums and there's a, a spring, summer, fall and winter within them. And, um, you know, it, it, for me, it helps me getting too caught up in the moment right. of like, Oh God, you know, I look at this going on today and our, I'm so worried for my kids and my grandkids and, you know, it's gloom and doom where it, it, it could be hard for them and it's likely to be hard for them. That's how it corrects itself. That's, uh, you know, pruning the tree. So it blooms in the, in the spring, That's but it. I think that it's necessary. That's true. Hey, if you're a history major, you always have something to talk about. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I could go on about anything. Oh, well, that kind of relates to this. And I've been surprised how many people I run into that that are just lovers of history even if that wasn't their their major there are so many people who just find it interesting um so it definitely gives me a way to connect outside of the the finance side and the management side of what I do yeah and you know the the thing about even like movies mm -hmm. you know the best movies are always based off of a true story because the you think about it um you know, the things, obviously, all the, the great writers and and I don't want to get too far outside of my area so I'm <laughs> in trouble here, but I know enough to know about the framework of storytelling. Yes. And that framework mimics reality. It didn't come from the abyss. It came from the right. from, from reality. So therefore, the authentic reality will always be better than the uh, than the the replica or the reproduction or the the fiction that's made up by man. Oh, that's true. That is so true. Well, and I think too, it kind of gives me this sense of perspective because 
I am not the only person in the course of this world who thought they had things figured out, had a path, had a plan. And now here I am several, several years after graduating college. And had you asked me then where I was going to be, I could not have ever predicted that this is where I was at. So I think it's a, it's a good lesson, a good reminder to, to myself that, that it's okay. You were talking about dealing with failure just because the path and your plans not going according to what you thought doesn't necessarily mean you should count that as a failure. There have been plenty of times where I thought, oh, well, this didn't work out the way I thought it would. I'm an utter failure. When in reality, it, it really, honestly, it sounds so cliche, but was just setting me up for an even greater success yeah. in the future. Or possibly dodging a bullet. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I yes. can say that for sure. <laughs> that's uh, that's really cool. So tell me, I know that you you mentioned that you had gotten into um, finance for mm -hmm. uh, the kind of the justice system or the, yeah. um, uh, tell me about that. Yeah. So I what had completed my degree and had worked for about a year still at, at the doctor's office and had kind of looked around and, you know, you had mentioned setting your goals. If you set your goals and once you achieve them, it's kind of a now what situation. So I had gotten married right after college and we had our first daughter and it's kind of like, okay, this, this can't be it. You know, I'm 23 years old. I can't be, I can't be done. I don't, I can't just coast, so to speak. You know, I, what's my next challenge? Um, so I decided to leave the comfort of what I knew. And this really was my first foray into, okay, I'm going to do this even if I'm scared. Uh, and I, and I really think having a child changes your perspective on a lot of things. And I think for me as a woman, having a daughter changed my perspective because now I look at everything through the lens of what would I want my daughter to do? What do I want her to look up to? And what do I want her to see her mother as? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this, even if I do it scared. And I took a significant pay cut to take an opportunity that my hope was would lead to greater opportunity. And that's exactly what happened. I started in the finance department, not at the, um, the, our county um, ran the jail at that point in time. And mm -hmm. so instead of the sheriff's office, which is how most counties are structured in the state of Florida. But so I made a leap over to our corrections department for our county and worked my way up and culminated my time there. I was the finance director for the corrections department. So we had almost a $60 million budget at that point in time um, that was under my purview that I was responsible for. But I will tell you, it definitely gave me a different perspective on local government and the criminal justice system and really helped me develop a passion for law enforcement and the custody and control side of things. You know, what happens after someone's incarcerated? How does that process work and digging into that? Um, but it definitely gave me an opportunity to broaden my horizons, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. What about, you know, we didn't talk a little bit about, um, you know, from a standpoint, you're young. I mean, especially then in doing these yeah. roles that are 
you know, again, managing or being in those medical practices with, you know, women that have been around a long time. And, you know, how are your peers, um, you know, are, you know, and I know, and women in general, you know, guys will, you know, they'll pretty much, you know, they may, it may go to blows, but with oh, women, yeah. a lot of times it's passive aggressiveness. You know, they're, they're, they're angry and they, they, you know, it's not right to, you know, go out in the parking lot and settle it. So there's right. these gossip I, innuendos, you know, how does do any of that? You, yeah, I will tell you, I am probably the only one that I have ever known, female especially, that was thrilled to turn 30. I was so excited because I genuinely felt like if I could say I was in my 30s, it gave me so much more validity. Or even when someone was talking about me and I wasn't present, there's a different you know, connotation to saying, oh, yes, yeah, she does this, she's in her 20s versus she does this, she's in her 30s. It seems so silly when when you look at at the numbers behind it, but it's it was so true. And so, in the corrections field, it it is certainly a male dominated field. I was often the only female sitting at the table, um, and I will say that honestly, the guys were so much better about looking at my merit. I mean, you you wouldn't think that because of what what people want to say from time to time, but they would look at my merit. They would, you know, af after they saw my track record, they would realize, okay, she knows what she's doing. And then age became irrelevant. Um, but when it, when it came to some of the other women on not necessarily my team, but other teams I would interact with it, it went back to that whole idea of kill them with kindness. Once I cannot tell you how many people have gotten to know me and have apologized. I am so sorry for the awful things I said. You are nothing like I thought you were going to be. <laughs> so well, see, if you get to know me, you'll like me. <laughs> yeah, I can see that for sure. I mean, you're also, you know, you're an uh, attractive young woman, you know, and you take care of yourself. And then you're well, and also people, you have skill set. And, and that is very not, uh, yeah. offensive. To, well, they it think it comes across deserved. that way. Yeah. Right. They think it's not deserved because it can't be that I'm intelligent and that I'm capable. That's certainly how crazy and ludicrous to think that someone got to where they're at because they're intelligent and they're capable, right? There has to be some ulterior motive, um, right. yeah. you know, something scandalous happening. And, and that's why I honestly, I get so many apologies and people say, wow, I feel terrible because you are nothing like I thought. <laughs> yeah. Which would give you confidence too, in the long run. It's like, you know, I got to suffer, you know, it's almost like, you know, I always say, you know, if I can see that there's light at the end of the tunnel, I can take anything. But that's if it. you make it to where I feel like I don't have light at the end of the tunnel, I can't take anything. That's it. That's but it. once you kind of know that, it's like, look, I know it's going to be a little tough here for a minute until I win these guys over, until they get to know me. So that's probably some good advice, you know, kind of like, again, putting things into a bigger perspective rather than digging in on the, the activity of today and dwelling on that too much. Yeah. And just reminding yourself that there is light at the end, you know, that, that okay, I've been through this before. Now I handle it far easier than I did, you know, 10 years ago. But 
because I can, I've had those experiences now and I can remind myself of the fact that this won't last forever. Eventually all these people will want to be my friends at some point, And then I'll be the one holding the cards that can make that decision. Yep. For sure. So how did my friend Jacob, how did he steal you <laughs> away from that career? Well, he had seen me speak. So part of my job responsibilities with the corrections department is I had to address our local board of county commissioners on a pretty regular basis. Almost every meeting I was up talking to them about some sort of motion I was wanting them to pass or some budgetary item. So he had seen me speak and do a couple presentations to our board of county commissioners. And oddly enough, he served on our local 4-H foundations board with a prior county administrator that I had worked really closely with. So he asked him if he knew me, if he had my phone number, if he could get in touch with me. So honestly, the first time Jacob called, I knew who Gilmore was. We used them as a vendor at the county. I genuinely thought, oh, he must want some consulting. You know, he's heard that that change management is, is kind of my thing. And so they must be getting ready to go through something. I, he probably wants me to do some freelance work. So I came in to meet and he handed me a job description and asked if it was something I'd be interested in. And I, I, I said, well, I'm, I'm not really sure. This isn't the direction I thought it was going. Let me take a look. Let me do some thinking. Um, and so I, I turned them down, the wonderful people here down, which they like to tease me about regularly. <laughs> um, and so then we would have, you know, they tried to find somebody else. They put the job posting out and they had never really had this position before. Somebody in a GM role that kind of oversaw everything and then wrapped it up into this package and, and made it um, better, so to speak. And they were going through some transition, you know, Mr. Gilmore was, was stepping aside and letting both Jacob and Lucas dig their hands in and kind of make the business their own. For those that aren't aware, Gilmore was founded in 1955. It's a third generation family owned business that has grown extensively over the years. And so there was a little bit of trepidation on my part, signing off to come join back to the private sector, leave the security again. I was going to have to do something scared, leave the security of my nice, cushy government job um, to come back to the private sector to shake things up. And they were pretty candid about that, that they knew where they wanted to go and they knew they were going to need a little bit of help to get there. And so while I very much enjoy being the person who executes the change, being the actual change maker was going to be a little different for me. And, and it goes back to being scared, right? You don't want to fail. This, this company has such an amazing reputation. I, I didn't want to mess that up. You know, how, if, until you're really on the inside, you think, well, how can you make that better? They're, they're already doing fabulous. Um, It'd be nicer so to teach that theory and, and, have, yeah. and consult with somebody on how to be a change agent, but it's right. risky being the change agent. Yeah, I get exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. So eventually they they convinced me and really it was their heart for the community. So I, my husband finally asked me after about the third time I came in here to speak to them. He said, you know, what what's your hang up? You know, you, you complain about the bureaucratic red tape that you've got to go through to get anything done that, you know, you could get, all of these wonderful things accomplished, but there's always a stumbling block. He said, why, 
what, what's your holdup? And he's like, it would be more financially beneficial for our family. Why, why would you not do that? I said that I was concerned. I was so passionate about what I did, being a good steward of taxpayer dollars, getting to bring programs to the people that were incarcerated, giving them even different perspectives on how to look at things once they were released. How was I going to get there shredding paper? Like, how was I going to feel like I was making a difference? in my community. And so at the encouragement of my husband, he said, just tell them that, just tell them. So I told Jacob, I said, I, I am so passionate about what I do. I love feeling like I make a difference. I'm concerned. I won't be fulfilled personally. um, If, if I take this leap and he did not miss a beat in saying, we're part of this community. We have been for decades. We want to make a difference too. What are you passionate about? You not only will be able to support that, but you will have, you know, the name and the weight of Gilmore behind you a hundred percent. And so I said, okay, where do I sign? Sign me up. This has got to be too good to be true. And it really has. I come to work every day, the last four years thinking, this is just too good to be true. Not that every day is fabulous. There have been some really tough days. We went through a massive rebranding, restructuring. Um, but man, this, it is just a great group of people. Yeah. And I've, you know, we've had, a, I've seen it from a, you know, kind of a vendor view and you have done some, some pretty big things. I mean, again, the whole rebranding and even, I think, you know, um, you know, how they, I think were smart and putting you in in a position to kind of keep the legacy going in a way based on the strengths of, of the sons. And, you know, I can see, you know, I have, you know, vision into things because I'm, I know those guys. Well, I know you well, right. you know, pretty oh, well. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, you've known them for longer than I have. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, see that, you know, a lot of that. And um, what about the challenges of, um, you know, what's been the biggest challenge? Again, you're still a pretty young woman coming into a family run business that, yeah was run by, you know, a male to a large degree. And, and you call a lot of the shots as at least, you know, I'm sure there's some, some lining up behind the scenes, but you (laughs) definitely take the lead in some, in some areas. Yeah, it was, um, you know, you've got this family owned business with such deep local roots here and you after coming in and evaluating some things, I you re, I realized pretty quickly we needed a little bit of a refresh, um, just an ability to really reintroduce ourselves to the market. We had gotten this stigma of only being a shredding company and only being here locally in Pensacola when we're actually all across the Southeast with our depots and, and we have some national accounts. And so... I really thought, okay, we need a chance to tell our story, but being able to navigate the desire to do that and and what I felt and knew was best for the business and balance that against maintaining this rich familial history and, and not coming across as offensive. I never wanted to be disparaging and was so very careful in my word choice when it came to suggesting and and implementing 
a brand, even to the point where it's a brand refresh. So a, a lot of times I inadvertently call it a rebrand, but, but during the whole process, even to the employees, I mean, we have some employees that have been here for 30 years. We, we have, we have an employee that has worked here longer than I've even been alive. And yeah. so you don't, these people have such a deep passion and love for this organization. I wanted to make sure they knew they're already looking at me as, as the new kid in town. And I'm a female in a male dominated industry. Um, they've not only that, they've never had a GM before. They've never had anyone titled a general manager that sat in this seat that, that had their fingers in everything, so to speak. And so the last thing I wanted was to offend anyone by making them think I was trying to erase any part of history. So calling it a refresh, which is really what it was, um, we, we just needed a facelift, you know, we just needed to, to clean up a little bit, dust things off and, and reemerge to the marketplace. And, you know, we were talking a lot about challenges. So I started in October of 2019 and then the world shut down. Oh yeah. Wow. Of 2020. <laughs> yeah. They get a, uh, somebody on the payroll. They ain't used to paying. And then all oh, of a sudden, my goodness. Uh, a scary time for sure. I remember driving home and, and talking to one of my mentors and going, you know, cause everything kind of started happening that January, you know, I mean, it took until March for, for things to really hit the fan, but I had only been here two or three months. And I remember calling my mentor and saying, so I may have made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I could see I, that. I miss the uh, security of my government job. I don't know what I'm going to do. And luckily having that perspective, they reminded me, listen, you ran a doctor's office during the height of the economic downturn and navigated them through that what is a, at that point in time, you know, we're not truly understanding what COVID is. They're like, what, what's a bad cold? You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll take them through it. It'll be great. Um, so it was definitely a challenge in making sure we had consistent communication with everyone and really proving my worth when, when the balance sheet was was not going to be pretty um but still making sure that the Gilmores could see me bring some value so we used that downtime um and that's when we did all of the work the heavy lifting for our brand refresh we thought you know what we're gonna be here and if we're not gonna be busy with clients banging down our doors let's use this because this will be over one day and and let's have something to show for it. Let's not say we just sat on our hands during this time. Let, let's be productive. Let's, let's have, have a little bit of fun. And, and that's what we did. Yeah. That's, um, I, I have that same exact mentality about, uh, even during the holidays when things slow down or, yeah. and I, I really learned that because I was a the idiot of all idiots. And I literally, I quit school in the 10th grade and went and worked offshore on a, inland wow. waters tugboat and had a great captain and um he was so i mean he was such a like a mentor he was a teacher and but you know you built toe basically you put those barges together and that's very physical and it's very hard and 
you know, it's really dangerous. I didn't think so at the time at all, but, uh, you know, but it really is. I actually, you know, I'm not proud to say this, but I, I told him I was 18 and really I was, I just turned 17, but you know, back in the day, things were a little different. They didn't check. Yeah. And um, they found out because I went to go, we were pumping barges and I got my tankerman ticket with the coast guard and of course, they checked, and I went to go get it, and they turned me down because of my age, and oh, so God. I got busted, but they didn't fire me. They kept <laughs> me, but anyway, the, my point in that was is that, yeah, you want to very much, um, you want to very much uh, take advantage, and that's what that's what my captain taught me was like, look, when you're not building tow, you know, there's grease and stuff. People put their hands on stuff. Go around and, and um, you know, take a 409 bottle and wipe everything down yeah. with a rag. So that way, because we wash the boat once a week. So that way, when you're going to wash the boat, you know, it's really easy because there's not these, you know, you don't have to stop and switch chemicals and all that. You know, you pretty much, you got it where it's pretty clean. Now you're just going to wash it. And, you know, okay, we don't have that. Okay, change the engine oil, change fuel filters, uh, cook, uh, clean, uh, chip paint, you know, always have something. And, you know, I, the part about my last year's theme that, uh, you know, about, who are you working with? And uh, then, you know, what are you working on? Who are you working with? But then the other part of it is just being consistent. Mm -hmm. You know, intensity kills you. You can't always have this intense environment because you'll burn out. And so you want to have most days where you're just literally consistent. And that's where we, we took some advantage of COVID in that way too. So what do you see as future challenges? Like what's the, in that industry and, and, and uh, you know, I know that y'all have expanded services and y'all you've done a few things a little differently, but what's the challenge in the future or what's the opportunity in the future that could cause a challenge? Well, I, I think it has a lot to do with this era that we're entering with the current state of, of the economy in our country that always poses a little bit of a challenge. Um, but especially in terms of, so this last year, we've really, we've always offered it, but almost as an ancillary service. And so we've really made a shift in focusing a lot of, of time and attention onto our commercial warehousing. And that's because we saw a need. We saw a need in the community of, of not enough warehousing space, not enough storage space. There's been such a push because of market factors to residential development, growth and development that this, I'll call it the old school idea um, of warehousing and those, those types of industries has kind of gone by the wayside. Um, so we're taking advantage of that. So I'll say that that's definitely the opportunity. Now, the challenge with that opportunity is similarly to my story, you know, I, college was, was the path and that's what I needed to do. Um, there's been such a push in our country to funnel individuals in that direction that a lot of our trade laborers have, have gone unfilled, those positions. And so we employ a large segment of what, what traditionally known your blue collar workers, you know, the, the warehouse technicians, drivers, things of that nature. And recruitment is 
is probably going to be our largest challenge going into the next year. Um, I, I have been thrilled with some of the initiatives. I've seen our local um, Pensacola State College here has done an initiative with CDL drivers um, offering courses and that. And so I, I do think, you know, we, it's funny, we, do, we talked earlier about history repeating itself. I do think, you know, we made this big push to go to college and get these degrees. And, and now the pendulum's starting to swing back the other way where we realize, wait a minute, we need mechanics and electricians and plumbers and, you know, college isn't for everybody. We need movers and drivers and, you know, it, industry is no, your Amazon order will not make it to you if there is not a CDL driver to drive it across the country to deliver it. Yep. Um, and, and we need those people. It takes all kinds to make this country work and to make this economy work. And so our challenge with, with beefing up this other service line is finding individuals who, who do that still, who still want to work in a warehouse because guess what? When it's hot, it's hot. And when it's cold, it's cold. And when it's raining, you may get wet. Um, but but we've lost a lot of that in our workforce. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I had a conversation with my assistant today and she was telling me, you know, she was like comparing, she's got a teenage son and just comparing that generation and his friends with say her grandfather. And it's why I had on the top of my uh, head the uh, that book about uh, the turning, uh, the fourth turning, and yeah. how really it's seasonal. And my daughter actually works for Troy University, and yeah. uh, they uh, academia is very well aware that uh, there's they really pushed college, and you know for a minute I think our whole society did, you know the government uh, incentivized it the whole way down. And now all of a sudden we've got a ton of people who thought just because they were went to college and got a degree that they're going to step out and be worth a lot of money. And they're now mad because they've got these big student loans out and, um, yeah. you know, they, they are not able to get that, that job they thought. Yeah. And now, and now if you need a plumber at your house, um, you might as well wait a couple of days or even a week yeah. because they're in such high demand. <laughs> well, schools are, are retooling uh, yeah. right now to, like she's in charge of recruiting for nurses, which they kind of consider that a trade, you know, more right. of a, uh, a, and that's one of the things that Troy University is really pushing is the nursing uh, field. So um, again, it's like a pendulum. It's going to swing yeah. and swing back and it's just, we've got to always be ready. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been very, I just love talking to you. I mean, I just think you're, you're really a, a fascinating, very special. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm being well, sincere. You. I think you're definitely, um, I knew that, you know, but I just <laughs> want to say that for our audience too, because uh, the world needs more women like you. I tell you, there's nothing like uh, more like, and I'm not talking about, you know, a more attractive or more, um, I don't know what the word would be exactly, but, you know, just, uh, you know, having a, a strong uh, woman that, you know, is thoughtful and, and can execute. That is like, Really, in a lot of roles, I see very, I see where there's a lot of need for that, but I, I don't see a lot of, of um, uh, applicants, if you will. There's not a lot that are, are trained to do that. So I think you all always do well. I know you will. And uh, 
But tell me a little bit how if they wanted to tell me about what Gilmore will give you a time just to plug Gilmore for okay. a second. What do y'all do? How if I wanted somebody wants to talk to you, you might if they were sweet, yep. you might help them in yeah. some of the areas you talked about or or something. Yeah, what so, would be so, tell me how to get in touch with Gil you or Gilmore? What y'all do? Yeah. Um, GilmoreServices.com. That is the best way to reach out. Our contact information is all on there, including mine. And honestly, information and data security is what we've made our name on. So whether that's secure document shredding, hard drive destruction, um, we do cell phones as well. But then on the storage side of things, we also do secure uh, records management and storage services. And then commercial warehousing, like I mentioned, is something we've just started beefing up. But you know, if you're not wanting to put your stuff in a mini storage and you want that added layer of protection, and customer care, then we're going to be your go-to people. Yep. And also just one other thing, and you may have said it, but I want to, I want to, I believe you do it. And I think it's important, uh, at least the way I think is like you help people manage their um, document retention, right? Yes. Yes. And so we will go ahead and get that schedule all together for you. So as most people who handle documents know, if you've got it, you're responsible for providing it to a certain degree. And so destroying those documents on the required timeline is very, very important. And so we can help you get all of that set up so that it's a seamless process. And as soon as they reach their retention date, we get your authorization and we go ahead and can get them securely destroyed. You get your certificate of destruction. So your records are good. And now you're not on the hook for, for producing those documents. Yep. So I want you to just point that out because I just uh, experienced something where they had it and they uh, could have destroyed it. And it yeah. actually didn't, it wasn't uh, as favorable. It would have been oh, better if they would have uh, followed the law and, and destroyed <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that's worse. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I tell you, Whitney, thank you so much for uh, your time uh, today. And um, I know the audience is going to love your insights. And uh, and I wouldn't be surprised somebody doesn't reach out to you. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much. It's time to go inside Phillip's head. Thoughts of the month. Guys, let's jump in on our thought for the month. And our thought for the month is really more about a journey of what we might call self-discovery and resilience. And I want to think about the, the theme of owning your own happiness. So uh, Abraham Lincoln once said that uh, people are going to be about as happy as they make up their minds to be. And I think we have some some promises that are are uh, evident and they're uh, they're actually they're uh, providential and they're even you know uh, prophetic and that we know that this life is going to be full of challenges and I think even anecdotally everyone would agree that life is very 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 challenging so understanding that we're going to be faced with challenges all along the way and just kind of being prepared and you know being proactive whenever we face those challenges so they don't take us you know there's nothing wrong with getting knocked down but they don't let let us stay down you know what i mean get back up quick um you know i've heard it said you know that really success is about not about avoiding you know the failures or anything like that is but how quickly you go from being knocked down to back up on your feet again so let's talk about this for a second because 
you know, happiness really is not a destination. It's more about a journey. And I know that's kind of cliche. My mom used to tell me all the time, you know, son, you need to, you need to really enjoy, take time to smell the roses. And I was always thinking that I was going to really be happy on the, at the next level of success or the next, um, you know, obtaining of this or that. So, Understanding that really it's about a journey and the world's full of challenges, full of uncertainties, and but owning your own happiness really, you can become a beacon of light for others. And I'm not talking about in a false, what I call, you know, excuse my French, in a what I call full of shit way. I'm talking about being authentic and real about being a light to other people. And we really, we just want to reclaim control over our emotions and our well-being and be, you know, respective of, um, of other people and not allowing them to basically ruin our, our life, if you will. So many people make themselves subjects. And, you know, we talked about that victims. And, you know, I think a lot of people are, are have a victim mentality. And what they really do is relegate themselves to the outside forces. It's like the outside is going to control your inside. And that is not how it has to be. When we look at some steps in this journey, the first really is understanding that happiness is an inside job. It's not contingent on the external validation or material possessions. It's more of a state of mind, a conscience, a conscious choice. And it's going to begin first with self-awareness and about recognizing our own worth and embracing our strengths and really acknowledging that your happiness, our happiness has got to be a priority. And I don't know, you know, I use the word happy, but you know, a lot of times another word could be like joy. You know, you could you could suffer a lot of pain and still have joy, or you could still be, you know, resolved to uh, not be, you know, beaten by the circumstances, if you will. So really, your know, society in itself is, it often bombards us with all of these expectations, these societal norms, and really a predefined roadmap to happiness in some ways. Social media will certainly, it has a certain, you know, sense of that in it. Uh, but the truth is, really, it's everybody's personal journey is going to be completely unique if they allow it to be their own. We have to own that, and that means really taking time to define your terms. I often say, what would make you happy when I'm dealing with my family or my wife or my kids or my staff? And I am, that is a real sincere, what would make you happy? And I am surprised at the time that people really can't come back with, well, I want this or that. And, um, you know, I think that we have to think about that because I'm going to tell you, if you don't know what it is, it may happen and you never even know it happened. So we have to define what that means in our own terms and also being very, you know, cautious of adhering to what someone else's happiness or a script that may be a cultural script or the people you hang out with or whatever that is, is driving that. And it's really more about embracing authenticity and living that true life for yourself. Uh, I think, you know, the Stoics would often say that, you know, we're, we love ourselves 
to the utmost. And yet we allow other, what other people think about us to drive us to these crazy degrees of stress when most likely they're not even thinking about you. Or if they were, they're, they're probably not important to you what their thoughts are. They're not people of importance. I often say, you know, we want to look at our 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 people. We call them friends, and really they might be better classed as acquaintances. Because I think really in, as a rule, we have a pretty you know, low number of really what would be considered friends. You know, another crucial aspect really is just letting go of the notion that these external achievements are going to bring us this joy or happiness. You know, goals and accomplishments are fantastic and they really need to be a part of your life, but they shouldn't define your happiness. Those goals and accomplishments really are like the answers to what's going to make me happy, if you will. They're somewhat of a roadmap, not to be worshipped or, or held on too tightly, but to help us define what happiness might look like. But that true contentment is going to come really more from daily moments of gratitude, simple pleasures that would often go unnoticed. So owning our own happiness uh, involves you know, cultivating that positive mindset, spending some time thinking about what you want, reframing challenges as opportunities for growth acknowledging setbacks as part of the journey. You know, it's not about how many times you get knocked down, it's about how many times you get up. And choosing really to be optimistic or not be beaten just because you're facing some form of adversity because we know that life is full of adversity. So really as we navigate the twists and turns of this life, let's remember that the power to be happy, to have joy resides within us. It's a conscience, a conscious decision to take control of our thoughts and embrace our own individuality because what makes this guy happy may not make that guy happy, but what makes you happy and savor those moments of beauty and store them up because, you know, this life is not forever, in, at least at this state. So try to enjoy it along the ride. Savor the journey and shine bright for those that are around you. Go out and make it happen. You've been listening to Success Failed with Philip Long. Check out AskBIS.com, brought to you by BIS.